I think, safe, but personal. Okay? So I want to start this morning with a little exercise. I want to ask you to turn to someone near you, preferably not your spouse, um, but it, that's okay if it's your spouse. I want you to turn to someone near you, and I want you to answer one question, okay? I want you to do, well, let's back up. I want you to describe your last two words, preferably in three words. Give three words that describe the last two weeks of your life, not, not the storm and all the generalities of life, but your life. Three words, and listen, I, I, let's, let's be liberal here. Some of you can't possibly describe anything in three words. <laughs> so I would prefer three words, but if you're not a person that can answer in three words, then we'll say three sentences. No more than three sentences. Go ahead and turn to somebody now. I'll give you the time to do that and describe the last two weeks of your life. Thank you. 
question that I must appeal to you. You see, Disney has become the new status symbol of Epcot. It used to be, we've gone through all these variations. I've been in ministry 26 years, and it was when I first went into ministry, it was a certain type of jacket or a certain type of coat. And then more recently, it's been a certain type of handbag or a certain type of accessory. And living in a certain certain neighborhood, but as there's been more focus on materialism and on simplifying our lives and clarity, clearing out our lives, we've cleared out our lives of stuff for the Lord, for the most part. We've we've humbled ourselves in terms of showing off our stuff. That's not as big an issue as it once was. But yet Here. Let me say, I'm not outside of this boat. I have the same challenge that each of you have. Okay? I, this is hard. This is tough, but we, we have to talk about this. Most of the busyness is self imposed. If we're really honest, for most of us, the busyness is work or obligations that we've volunteered for. It's activities that we've encouraged our kids to engage in. We're busy oftentimes because we're afraid we'll fall behind if we're not busy. See, busyness has become a competition in our, in our culture. It's the new status symbol. We dread what we might face in the absence of busyness. We dread how others might see us if we're not busy. I'm not, I'm not even talking about productive. I'm not talking about effectiveness. Surely most of you have gotten to that point where you've realized that busyness does not equate 
productivity or effectiveness. We're, we're concerned about how others will see us. We're concerned about how we'll be or where we'll be in society. <coughs> you know, one of, the, one of the things that I'm seeing more and more and more in my counseling office is men and women that feel anxious and guilty when they're not working. And they force themselves to, to do something related to work in their downtime. They're responding to, to work emails while at dinner with their spouse or while watching a ball game or while at church. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> We're more connected in this culture. I want you to think about this for a minute. We're more connected to activities and events and less connected to people than in any other culture in history. Let that soak in. We're more connected to activities and events than we are to people. Sociologists have a new term. It's, it's kind of interesting. They call it plan shopping. Plan shopping—it's—it's it's a fairly new phenomenon, at least in the kinds of numbers we're seeing today. But plan shopping is getting an invitation to do something one evening, or getting the invitation to do something on the weekend, and deferring commitment to any one plan for an evening, or for weekend, or lunch, until we know what all of our options are. We collect options for Friday night. We look at all the options, and rather than to commit to any person, to a friend that has invited us or a family member that's invited us to do something, we wait, and then we look at the menu, and we decide which activity, which event will be most fun or most likely to advance our career or most likely to meet a cute girl or a cute guy. And we treat people like menu options. And if we're really honest, we're doing it to our kids too. We're scheduling our children's days right down to the half hour. And when they can't keep up, when developmentally they're not ready for that, we give them psychiatric meds to help them focus reduce their anxiety or calm them down. And here's the reality. Now, I want you to hear me say this because it sounds like I'm villainizing everything here, but I'm not. Very few people, I'm convinced of this, very few people intentionally, thoughtfully choose to live this way. You don't want to live this way any more than you want to sit in a traffic jam. You don't want to live this way any more than you want to stand in line in the DMV or, or be at the bottom of the high school hierarchy. We don't intentionally choose it. The, 
by not intentionally choosing otherwise, we collectively force one another to live this way. That's what I was speaking of earlier. It's the current. It's the current of our culture. And our culture has a strong current. And that culture, that current is always moving us away from God and away from one another. We call it drift. If you're not intentionally fighting against the current, if you're not paddling, where are you going to go? If you're in a river and you're not paddling, where are you going to go? Downstream, right? You're going to go with the current. You're just, you're going to flow. And the current is destroying us. The current of busyness is, is literally killing us. Think about all the health issues that are related to that current of busyness. All the stress-related issues, ulcers, hypertension, neurosis, attention deficit, anxiety, worry, plummeting self-esteem, even cholesterol issues and diabetes issues and obesity. Why? Because busyness keeps most of us from eating as healthy as we know we should. We, we know, I'm doing a lot in the area of neuroscience these days, and we know that, that it's actually stress issues, busyness issues, that's dramatically affecting hormonal issues in men as well as women. When your cortisol level, which is from is stress-related, stays up for an extended period of time, it causes all kinds of issues. With eyesight, with joint flexibility, it causes brain issues, it causes histrionic or chronic exhaustion. We actually know that if your cortisol level stays up, your IQ begins to drop until it's down for at least as long as it was up, your IQ literally drops. Your ability to problem solve, your ability to think logically. And of course, what happens in the place of logic and IQ is our tempers go up. Our anxiety goes up. Our stress goes up. Relationally, there's all kind of relational issues. Isolation. You know, we, through social media and through other things, we have chosen to accept illusions of friendships that don't actually have the benefits of sharing life together. Think about that. We've replaced actually sharing life with people and that the very real health and emotional benefits of that with the illusion. It's, it's kind of like eating Cheetos. Yeah, you could, what, if you went on an all Cheetos diet, nothing but Cheetos, morning, noon, and dinner, every day. You know, literally, literally, you'd starve to death. You could eat as many Cheetos as you wanted to, and you would starve to death. Because there's 
no nutritional value. Cheetahs. There's there's mass, there's quantity, but no nutritional value. When you allow social media friendships to replace actual friendships, there's no emotional value. There's no relational value. You will starve to death emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And spiritually. We see a lot more violence in our society is associated with people that have isolated themselves from other people. They, they will describe themselves as having lots of friends, but not typically. We associate, you know, here's one of the challenges with busyness. One of the challenges with busyness is we begin to associate aspects of our personality. We begin to associate behavior to innate personality. We begin to talk about ourselves as being cranky or blunt or anxious or sad as if that's part of our default personality. Nobody's actually wired that way. Those aspects of our personality come out as byproducts or consequences of busyness. Of busyness. Spiritually speaking, what the Bible says is that busyness hardens our hearts. Think about that. Busyness hardens our hearts. And religion, apart from relationship, accelerates that hardening. Think about it this way. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had developed 613 laws, descriptions, or characteristics, religious do's and don'ts, of how we are to live out what they called the Shema, the heart of the law. 613 religious do's and don'ts. What the Pharisees fell in the trap of in trying to explain every situation and trying to determine who's in and who's out of the people of God, they created one description after another description after another. And what they did is they created busyness within the faith. And we do that all the time. In Matthew 22, an attorney comes to Jesus, Nicodemus. He comes at night, and he, he's looking for complexity. He's considering these 613 religious do's and don'ts, and he says to Jesus, which one is most important? Like a paraphrase, he says, give me the Cliff Notes version here. Cut to the chase. Give me the bottom line. What's most important here? And Jesus has this incredible way. <coughs> is every great leader that I've ever known has of taking something complex and really simplifying. You know, fools do the opposite. We take things that are simple and we complicate them. But Jesus takes this, these 613 laws, Nicodemus, an attorney. Someone who 
revels in the complexity of the law? He says, what's most important? And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't give a new answer. He refers to what any practicing Jew then or today would tell you is the Shema, the heart of the law. Deuteronomy 6.5. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When he quotes it in Matthew 22.37, he says, love the Lord your God. He said, this is what's most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What is he saying? I think in a word, if we simplified that right now, he'd say undivided. Undivided love. What does that look like? What does it look like to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. I've heard some preachers preach that that means to, to, to love God in every moment of every day for him to be your primary focus, your, your only focus every moment of every day. Let's be honest, is that possible? Would it be possible for me right now to give God my full undivided attention in this very moment. I couldn't be preaching. Right? I couldn't be teaching. I couldn't be speaking. Either. I wouldn't even know you existed. So what does it mean? There's this theme that shows up again and again and again in Scripture. And it's the theme of intimacy. And I'm going to suggest to you that more than anything else, you and I, you and I were created to crave intimacy. Crave it. But what is intimacy? I've done two word studies in the last 25 years. I'll just tell you, I'm not a, I'm not a theologian or a scholar. I've only done two. But I've done two pretty, pretty intensely. One of them is, is on the study of biblical intimacy. What does it mean? And this is the definition I would give you. Intimacy is giving another your full, undivided attention <coughs> while receiving their full, undivided attention. In our culture, we, we want to... We want to substitute intimacy and sex. And the reality is sex, sex is, is a subcategory of intimacy. It's a part of it. You should have each other's full undivided attention. If you really want problems, and we can leave you my card, but, but next time you're having sex, pick up a magazine and start reading it. <laughs> or call your spouse by another name. It won't matter what's happening physically. Because at the heart of sex, what is most gratifying, and we know this from brain studies, what is most gratifying about sex is having the other person's full undivided attention and giving them your full undivided attention. 
Nothing else exists. It's what prayer should be. Giving God our full, undivided attention. And here's something you probably haven't heard before, but I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this. Intimacy Having an intimate relationship is not actually giving God my full undivided attention every moment of every day. But it's absolutely giving God my full undivided attention some moments of every day. When we do that some moments of every day, it's amazing what happens. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says it this way. He says, when you give me your full undivided attention, when you come back to me again and again and again with consistency, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. Yeah, I told you busyness hardens the heart. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you heart it changes it changes your priority when you spend some time absolutely undivided attention on God every day with God it changes the way you perceive the world around you it changes the way you see your relationships he changes the way you see yourself he changes the way you see, you see your schedule. He changes the way you see the current culture or the culture, the current of the culture. He changes us. James 1.5 is one of my favorite verses. James 1.5, and I, I like James because he's kind of a man's man and there's some sarcasm. And I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm if you haven't picked that up. And, and James does too. We share that. So I like James. But I did a word study. Again, this is the other word study I've ever done. The only two I've ever done. You're getting both of them today. One of them was intimacy. The other one was wisdom. Wisdom. I wanted to know, what is the Bible really talking about when it talks about wisdom? So I've had a couple, three years of Hebrew and three years of Greek. And I've had all this study. And I've broke down. And the only two words I've ever done this with. But I did it with wisdom back in the mid-90s, I guess. <coughs> And I came away from months of pulling apart every, every place in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, where, where the word wisdom or any synonym of wisdom showed up. And I asked, what is the Bible referring to when it refers to wisdom? And I'm absolutely, absolutely convinced that when the Bible speaks of wisdom, it's literally speaking of God's perspective. It's literally speaking, when I look at something wisely, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing it as God sees it. And it's interesting, because James writes in James 1.5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you see the sarcasm? Just that first line, you see the sarcasm there? We all lack wisdom. What he's telling us in the first line there, when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he's telling you, the secret to gaining wisdom is admitting you don't have it. It's humility. It's acknowledging I don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the questions. And when we get that, it changes everything. And James says, 
if, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. I love that scripture. I love that scripture. First time I heard it as a pastor and I really spent some time with it, 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 it kind of made me a little frustrated. Because what's not there? It doesn't say he'll give doesn't say he'll give wisdom to everybody who's ordained. It doesn't say he'll give wisdom to everybody who's been to Sunday school or small group 32 weeks in a row. It doesn't say he gives wisdom to everybody who has perfect attendance in worship or is in the praise banner, leads a small group or a deacon or an elder. <coughs> Excuse me. It says he gives it to all. He gives generously to all. That little word in the Greek that we translate all, you know what it literally means? All. all. Everyone. Without exception. No exclusions. Anyone who asks. So God's saying, if you ask me to let you see your marriage from my perspective, if you ask me to let you see my church from, your, from my perspective, if you ask me to let you see your own life from my perspective, God will give it to you. He'll show you what he sees when he looks at you, when he looks at your job or your coworkers or your neighbor. But we have to ask. And when we ask, it changes everything. But to ask, we have to slow down and spend time. That's the catch. Most of us are too busy to do so. He says in Jeremiah 2 5, God's people, he refers to, in Jeremiah 2 5, what he refers to is he refers to his people who followed worthless idols and became worthless. God's people who followed worthless idols and became worthless. Busyness is a worthless <coughs> says we're to love our wives, men, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Part of what that means, and I could teach for the next three weeks on that passage, but part of what that means is we are to prioritize them in our <coughs> schedule. You see, in the same way that we need intimacy with God, we need intimacy with one another. We need intimacy with one another. And I'm not talking about sex. Or I'm not ruling that out. What I'm saying is if you're not intentionally giving your spouse and receiving from your spouse their full undivided attention every day, you're calling the current. And you're drifting apart. You may not realize it yet, but you are. Some of you know you are. You just aren't sure why. And, and guys, I'm not talking about big romantic dinners and hours of pillow talk. And I'm talking just connecting full undivided attention some moments of every day, being intentional about it. 
So some days it might mean a date night. It might mean going out. It might mean pillow talk. It might mean long, surfy conversations. Other times, <clears throat> on those really busy days, that maybe you can't help right now, it literally means two minutes of praying together. <clears throat> it might mean a, a slow dance in the kitchen after the kids have gone to bed. Typical song, three minutes long. It, it might mean a 30-second passionate kiss. It might mean a 45-second hug. I'm surprised how often we get couples in our office. See, that's the heart of what's walking in there. They've been married for years, but they've slowly drifted apart. Not intentionally, not infidelity or adultery or pornography or anger. We get all those issues too. But what generally leads to those issues, most people don't wake up in a great marriage and decide, you know what, I'm going to blow up my I'm going to blow up my marriage with pictures of naked women today. Most people don't wake up in a great marriage and think, you know what, my secretary's just looking really good today. That's not how it starts. How all those sin patterns starts is when we drift away from God and we drift away from our spouse. It's when we lose the intimacy in our marriage. It's when we lose the intimacy with our God. My challenge for you today is to reclaim the intimacy. To reclaim your time with God and to reclaim your time with one another. And if you really want to hit the both. Pray together. The last thing I'll say to you, I've been counseling folks for 26 years in ministry at that time. Joe and I have been counseling couples together for five years as a couple. There's one thing that we've never seen. Kind of interesting. There's one thing we're still waiting to see. Most couples that come to see us, we ask them if they pray together. If they pray every day together. And I'll tell you what we've never seen. Now, listen, we have seen every level of Christian in terms of what others would consider spiritual maturity we've seen in our office. We see worship pastors and youth ministers and children ministers and small group leaders and elders and deacons and associate pastors and senior pastors and priests and on and on and on. We, we, we've seen, I can't think of a category that we haven't seen in our office so it's, it's not being a pastor that keeps your marriage healthy, is it? But what we've never seen in our office, we see couples all day, every day, five days a week. What we've never seen in our office is we've, we've never seen a couple that came there because of self-imposed marriage issues, lack of intimacy or sin issues, We've never seen that couple arrive and say they pray together. Praying together as a couple is your offense and your defense. We 
get pastors all the time. Like, we ask them, do you pray together with your spouse every day? We do that for the small group leaders and worship leaders. We, we get couples sometimes that they pray together every day and they're there because they've lost a child or they've lost a parent or they're, you know, something that's from the outside that, that has gone into the turmoil. But we've never gotten a couple that is there because of a sin issue or there because of a lack of intimacy. They pray together every day. And that's one of the first things we tell them. Prioritize time with God time with your spouse. Heavenly Father, thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're doing in and through our midst. Lord, I thank you for the invitation, the opportunity for intimacy with you. It's amazing to think that the God who spoke the world into existence. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who turned a valley of dry bones into an army. The God who raised the dead and healed the sick and gave sight to the blind. That God, you, would give us absolute free access to come to you day or night and share our hearts with you. The pain, the joy, the grief, the celebration, whatever the day brings, to share it with you and let you adjust our perspective. Show us how we view the different aspects of our lives. Father, I pray that when we leave here today that someone will chew on this and will grapple with this and will re-engage with you, <laughs> re 